0: Hey, everybody, this is Shannon with VIP Kid World, and welcome back. For today's podcast, I'm going to be moving on to the next letter of the alphabet with our ABCs for VIPs podcast series. I know it's been a little while since I released the last one, but I do hope that this one was worth the wait. I wanted to do something very specific for the next letter, letter I. And I've known exactly what I wanted to do since the beginning. Um, but um, it was a concept that I have talked about in many of my workshops. So if you've been in one of my workshops, you have probably heard me discuss this concept. But I only ever had a very limited uh, knowledge about the field, about the concept itself. Um, enough to talk about it for 10, 15 seconds in a workshop, but not enough to really give it um, you know, justice. So for today's podcast, as we're moving on to letter I, I is for input hypothesis, or as we usually refer to it, I plus one. So the concept of I plus one um, is very interesting. often as mentioned, talk about it in a few different workshops. And it's this very intriguing concept that has actually been in the field of um, learning and education for many years. Um, The concept was created by uh, Dr. Stephen Krashen, and it was actually one of a group of five different hypotheses that he had created under this umbrella of second language acquisition. So hypotheses that would say there are many different ways to acquire a second language. Um, and this was one of the hypotheses that he came up with. So the input hypothesis um, was actually first published um, in 1977, so this concept actually been around for quite a while. Some of the research that I came across uh, pretty much explained the hi- input hypothesis in a very simplistic way. It says that the input hypothesis states that learners progress in their knowledge of the language when they comprehend language input that is slightly more advanced than their current level. Krashen, of course, as we know, called this the I plus one concept or hypothesis, where I is the learner's interlanguage, or really what the learner knows, and plus one is the next stage of language acquisition. So if you remember any of the workshops that you've been in with me and I reference this, the concept that we usually talk about is that I is what they know and one is the next step up. Now, of course, we would never approach a classroom in doing something like I plus 100, which would be going into a level two class and trying to teach advanced chemistry, right? We would just take it one step at a time. Now for us as VIPKid teachers, what I think is really interesting is we have to actually be able to analyze the classroom to understand what these different levels look like. So we have to be able to understand our students. But I'll get back to that toward the end of this podcast and how we can apply this specifically in our um, VIPKid classroom. But let's talk a little bit more about the research. So the idea here is being able to take a look at the learner's actual ability level and then address or assess what the next step would be. That's the kind of place that we want to um, put our learners in. That's the area we want them to be in when learning. So this plus one really, as Krashen dictates, is that it's the next increment, of new knowledge, things that they don't know, um, language and how it's structured, and that it would still be something within the learner's capacity to acquire. Now, an I plus 10 might be something outside of the learner's capacity. You can probably think of a time where you tried to teach something and you got that you know, stone-faced deer in the headlights look. That might be an example of going beyond the learner's capacity. Um, but this is a place where, yes, it's a little bit difficult, but it's not too difficult for the student to take. It's, it's a challenge that they have to be able to push themselves. So the research continues to say that a good example for what input hypothesis might look like is that if we were to acquire, let's say, the rules of language in a linear order, even though it's not necessarily like that, but let's just pretend that language is acquired in a one, two, three, four, five type of fashion. The I in I plus one would represent the last rule or foundation or understanding of the language that was learned. What the student or learner actually understands. Then I plus one would be the next step that is learned. Um, But one of the things that the research talks about is that it's very important to realize that any input or whatever the student is getting, that's not enough just listening to a teacher speak or listening, you know, to audio books or audio readings or something in another language. It had to be comprehensible. And that was one of the things that I thought was really interesting. The research talks about this idea of comprehensible input being a crucial and necessary part or ingredient of a learner's ability to acquire new language. So the research that I found talked about these three very specific corollaries that have to do with the input hypothesis. So I'm gonna kind of go through those and um, hopefully they resonate with how they can actually apply to our teaching, uh, of course, our VIP Kids students. So the first one mentions that talking or output is not necessarily practicing. So Krashen's idea Um, stressed that speaking in a target language does not necessarily result in language acquisition. I think we can kind of understand that. You get the idea of just methodically or just monotonously repeating things in a rote memorization type fashion. Doesn't necessarily mean that one is acquiring language. But speaking through Krashen's idea can indirectly assist in language acquisition but it, it does mention in the research that the, his, one's ability to speak is not necessarily the cause of language acquisition. Instead, that comprehensible output, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is one of the effects that comes with language acquisition. So one of the side effects, good though it may be, um, is one's ability to uh, give proper output. once they have uh, reached a certain place where they're getting the the input that is one step higher um, pushing them challenging them to do more to express themselves in this new target language now the second one of these corollaries says that when enough comprehensible input is provided that's when i plus one is present so the concept here is that if language you know, models and teachers provide enough comprehensible input, remembering that that is still something the child can understand. Even though it may not be 100% understood, it is something that is within their boundaries of understanding. If enough comprehensible input is provided, then there's this idea or concept to where the the learner is actually preparing themselves to learn, um, being prepared to take in more of that type of input. The research talks about how Krashen's idea, this, uh, essentially he was talking about grammar in this in this regard. But He says that this is a better method of developing grammatical accuracy than direct grammar teaching. So the idea is being able to relate what they know, making it a little bit harder, comprehensible input, still something that can be understood without trying to throw out complex grammatical rules. Um, and expecting a student to be able to understand that. The third section of the uh, third corollary of this input hypothesis brings up a new concept, which we'll kind of talk a little bit more about because I think it's something that um, is important when it comes to understanding this concept. So the third one says that the teaching order is not based on the natural order, which I thought was kind of interesting. It said instead, students will acquire the language in a natural order by receiving comprehensible input. So the idea here is through these different hypotheses of how um, language is acquired, that idea of comprehensible input. This is the idea of um, something that is understood. So being able to understand either spoken or written language input Sometimes this is seen as being the only way that uh, results are found. Um, linguistic competence, as they say. Um, sometimes people say that the output might not have much effect. Uh, but Krashen, within his research, he kind of brought up this idea, his, his opinion on the matter. And of course, the, there are questions in the field because a lot of the things that Krashen talks about um, are not necessarily testable. So he did come up with some questionable uh, research, but his claim is that linguistic competence is only advanced or can only be moved from you know point one to two to three to four when that language is subconsciously acquired, and that would uh, that conscious conscious learning um, is not necessarily something that just spontaneously happens. One of the other things that he mentions is that learning is seen to be heavily dependent on the mood of the learner, with learning being impaired if the learner is under stress or does not want to learn the language. Now, I think that we can all resonate with those words. Um, There are a lot of different things that we discuss, that we've read about, that we've heard about, you know, fight or flight uh, coming into play, the There is a inverse relationship between stress and retention when your students are highly stressed and stress can be easily increased in an environment that is confusing. Maybe we are doing a little bit of I plus 10 or I plus 100, things are too complex. We've moved away from comprehensible input and now we're looking at incomprehensible input, things that are too complex. So it does make sense that being able to keep a child in an understandable, comprehensible, area but also still a challenge would uh, keep the stress levels low but that concept of being careful with the child's mood or the learner's mood i think that's something that we can definitely think about in our vip kid classroom because sometimes it might be time for us to take a moment away from learning or teaching and try to lighten the mood try to have a little fun with our students If it's not fun, (laughs) then it might be very difficult for the student to get into a mode, as as mentioned in the research, to want to learn. I think we can probably even think of times where we were learning something and that lack of desire, that want could actually change how easy it is for us to learn a new concept. So, being able to create a, craft, a classroom that is conducive for a desire to learn is definitely a huge um, part of our classroom. So, I think that's something we have to focus on as we progress with different students and whatnot. Now, one of the things that I found very interesting is that uh, Krashen kind of discusses this change between um, comprehensible input, which would be whatever the the learner or the student is taking in, um, and then comprehensible output, which is, of course, what the student is able to do. Now, this concept is a tad bit different um, and was actually developed by a different uh, individual. A Merrill Swain was the one who came up with Comprehensible Output. And this hypothesis was something um, that stated that learning takes place when the learner encounters a gap in their linguistic knowledge. And something that I think is obviously very familiar to us when a child realizes that they don't actually understand, they don't actually have fluency, that that moment where they realize that some things might actually be wrong or you ask them a question and they just don't know the answer. Well, one of the things that this specific hypothesis says is that once the learner, our student, notices that gap, notices that there is something missing, the learner becomes aware of that lack of some sort of knowledge, that they may be able to modify the output that they give so that they are actually learning something new about the language. So the concept that I found so interesting when I was doing this research is that this reminded me very much of how important it is for us to help our students to learn the process of self-correcting. It, you know as well as i do that it can be very difficult to get children to correct themselves. It's it's something that maybe for a lot of them is not natural. So through the way that we choose to correct, you know, kindness and and if you haven't listened to my podcast about correcting errors or error correction as it is letter e, please take a look at that one. But being able to help our students to self-correct is something that allows them to process what's coming out of their mouth, allows them to process things that they do know and things that they don't know. And sometimes they're not able to actually correct themselves. Um, but it's a nice process for us to be able to help the students acknowledge that, no, I actually don't know the answer, which for some of our students is hard for them to admit. But it's good that we make sure that they're comfortable with saying, no, teacher, I actually don't, I don't know. Now, Swain, one of the things that was mentioned is that Swain didn't actually claim that comprehensible output was the only thing that leads to language acquisition. Uh, But she did say that under certain circumstances or certain conditions, that this comprehensible output can actually help a second language learner in order to enhance what they hear, in order to connect that input, that comprehensible input, and also be able to give that right back and use the language in an applicable way, um, hopefully applicable to their own life. So Swain's concept of comprehensible output also contained three very specific things. So the first thing that I thought was very interesting was that concept that that we just mentioned of noticing, right? This functionality of noticing, noticing the gap. So here your student is um, encountering that there are things missing from their knowledge. They are not a fluent speaker. And the real gap is between what they want to be able to say and what they actually are able to say. So it's a, it's a, an, a conscious acceptance that there is some lack of knowledge um, and that they only have a partial understanding of the language. Now, actually, what, what I think is really interesting in a, in a completely different part of the field of um, ESL teaching, there is actually research coming out now in... Um, uh, that is very interesting um, that they have found that some of the most impactful memories that are made, uh, transitioning into long-term memory, are not memories made by reviewing already known concepts. Um, it's not this concept of, oh, you know it, well, keep repeating it and keep repeating it and keep repeating That's going to make it stronger in your brain. That's actually being disproved. But one of the things that the research is saying is that being able to acknowledge the unknown, accept the unknown, is pushing oneself toward failure is actually one of the best paths to ensuring that that memory, that that thing that was forgotten, um makes its way into long-term memory and that we can actually find success or a learner can find success in long-term retention. So the idea here that I find so intriguing and I think is really applicable for our classroom is being able to find the things children have forgotten. Being able to test um, and ask questions about previously learned knowledge and not just be satisfied when a child answers a question correctly. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, But we also want to be able to reach for those things that they've forgotten because there's this weird thing that happens when the brain has to reach for something that it can't quite get to. It's like holding your hand out and trying to grab something, but you're not quite there. And then all of a sudden, someone hands it to you. And you're like, oh, yes, of course, that's what it was. That was that thing that I couldn't remember. There's something within the brain um, that, that says that that kind of relationship between the forgotten and being reminded of the forgotten has a more impactful uh, effect on long-term retention. Uh, so I think that's definitely something we can use in our classroom. Now the second function um, was this idea of hypothesis testing for the uh, comprehensible output. So the idea here is that it says that when a learner says something there is always at least a tacit hypothesis underlying what they say especially considering grammatical concepts. So by saying something The learner is actually choosing to test their hypothesis. So here's your student saying something in a a sentence, a sentence structure, testing their hypothesis to see whether that is right, and then in turn receiving immediate feedback from you, the teacher. That feedback goes into the process, into the brain, and enables this sort of reprocessing of the hypothesis. It's like this is what I thought it was and I tested my hypothesis and I actually found in response to my hypothesis that this is not correct. So now I'm reanalyzing what I thought used to be correct. And now I'm creating a new process, one that is um, with the teacher's help. (laughs) Uh, I think that's very applicable to what we know in our classrooms. The last function had to do with metalinguistics. So this concept has to do with the learner being able to reflect on their own understanding of the language and thereby learning um, that what they say allows them to control the situation, allows them to think and internalize the knowledge that they have. So uh, this is... (laughs) This is one of those things that you might see with some of your older students. It's something that I've tried to do with a lot of my maybe level fives and sixes sevens is being able to help them understand the importance of self-analysis, understanding the importance of listening to themselves. You've probably noticed before in your class where students are not paying a lot of attention to what's coming out of their mouth. They're just kind of spewing out words. If they were to hear or see those sentences that were coming out of their mouth, if they were to see them written on the the screen, they would be able to actually correct the errors. But because of not taking that time to think and internalize and process what they know in relation to what's actually coming out of their mouth Um, so I think that idea of being able to help them realize that yes self correcting is important but also listening to themselves um, analyzing their own abilities um, accepting that sometimes we know things and sometimes we don't Um, it also talks a little bit more about this second language acquisition being that that comprehensible output uh, it had to be found to be effective in eliciting different kinds of output, different language, whatever that acquisition might look like. Um, One of the other things the research says is that production of language for communication um, comes from a, of course in a meaningful way, would actually help this be acquired. So what they're talking about here is something that I know all of us are doing and that has to do with making sure that everything that's taught in the classroom is done in a personalized way. So this kind of metalinguistic function discusses the the concept that if what is given the comprehensible output, what the student is actually saying. Of course, they're getting feedback to say whether it's accurate or not, but that it is meaningful to them, that it is personalized, that it has to do with them and they can see its application, its usefulness right here, right now. So... As we kind of take the ideas of comprehensible input, comprehensible output, and how that idea of the input hypothesis, I plus one, what we give the student being just a step further, just enough of a challenge that allows them to progress. Well, how do we finally kind of tie this all together and apply it in the VIP kid classroom? So I think what I what is most important here is being able to take a step back um, and observe the classroom in a way where you're not just trying to hear incorrect and correct answers but you're listening you're watching you're learning finding with however you have to your students true ability level and it's not just oh do they belong in level three unit 10 it's what exactly is their capacity for reading for speaking for listening comprehension then being able to adapt all of those within the VIP kid curriculum to push them for that one step higher. Um, of course, sometimes their abilities may maybe conceptually we could say your students at a level at a number two for reading um, and number four for, you know, listening comprehension. Well I wanna push them to number three for reading and a number five for listening comprehension. So the process might be a little bit um, more complicated for children whose abilities are a little bit off kilter, um, which are most of our students. But in order for us to be super successful with this, we we wanna be able to use the language that's just that step ahead. Right? Comprehensible input range, uh, testing the students, giving them opportunities to test their own abilities through the questions we ask. The only way that you're going to be able to get the child to use this concept of comprehensible output, testing out those hypotheses in their mind is if we give them the questions, the right questions that push them for the right answers, right? D- Giving them questions that push them for a little bit more. Helping the students to understand that being wrong is not a bad thing. Getting answers wrong, pushing oneself, and failing, that's a a positive thing. Through failure, our students will find long-term success. It is the best path. Um, for them to feel comfortable on especially if we want our students to one day be successful and move toward becoming fluent English speakers so I hope that um, you enjoyed this podcast and as I mentioned it's been a little while but I wanted to make sure that I could do this concept justice Um, And I hope that it makes a little bit uh, more sense now uh, with the I plus one. If you've never heard of it before, I hope it was something that you think um, will help you in the classroom. Um, Otherwise, definitely take into mind how we can create a classroom that's more than just teaching, you know, slides and reading teacher directions. But if we push ourselves, we can dig a little deeper and find what the brain needs, what the brain accepts, what research has has shown over the years actually works extremely effectively for our students. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. I hope you are also enjoying the book reading um, podcast, and I will uh, hopefully come out with the next... ABCs of VIPs uh, very soon with the following letter. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and uh, I'll see you next time.